Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Hi, I'm Michael, and it's my great joy to be reading the Bible for us tonight. Uh, Tonight's reading is from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 36. Right, Genesis 37, starting at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send them to you. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let us not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to, back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? 
Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. When he, he went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, and the captain of the guard. Thanks, Michael. And hi all, my name is Ben and I am one of the regular members of this congregation. I think there are a lot of regular members. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I come here regularly. <laughs> now, one thing you may not know about me is that I hate loud cars. I hate, hate, hate loud cars. There's something about a roaring engine or spitting engine noises that just really irks me. And late last year, I went full vigilante. I started reporting them to the Environmental Protection Authority, the EPA. And now how it works is that with the EPA, you need to take down the time of the offence when you think that the, the car, the, the noise levels rose above the allowed noise levels, the car make, and then the number plate, and you report it to them. And if they collect enough reports for the car, then they'll send the owner a letter saying that they need to get their car noise levels tested, which I was hoping would lead the, the driver to feel remorse and hopefully lead to less loud cars on our roads. So how it would work is that I'd be at home, I'd be doing whatever I was doing at home, and I'd hear a loud car in the distance. I'd run out to my balcony, and I'd watch it go past. <laughs> but the trouble with loud cars is that they're also often fast cars. <laughs> and so sometimes quite hard to catch the number plate. But if I did, I'd write it down in my little notebook. Here's an entry from last year. Sunday the 19th of December, 3.30pm. Black Subaru WRX with rear spoiler heading west on our street. Ear-piercing engine splutters and cracks. Now, if you're a driver of a loud car, or if you're a driver of a, a black Subaru WRX, you better, better watch out. <laughs> but all jokes aside, I actually had to stop my campaign, because, I, I mean, my hate was actually making me more and more angry. It wasn't helping me. And in our passage tonight, we're going to see even more starkly the power of hate. And so let's pray for God's help. My Father, thank you that you speak through your word. 
Please help us to hear you, to understand and to grow in love and obedience to Jesus. In Jesus' name, Amen. So Joseph's 17, the second youngest of 12 brothers. But despite being a number 11, he's his dad's number one. And his dad shows this to him by giving him the robe with many colours that lots of you are familiar with. But his brothers don't love him. In fact, they hate him. And they hate that he's his dad's favourite. They hate him and can't speak a kind word to him. They can speak nothing but hate to him. So Joseph has two dreams where he rules over his family. In the first, he and his brothers are out in the field collecting grain. And then suddenly, Joseph's collection rises up and all his brothers' collections bow down to it. This doesn't really reduce his brothers' hate. It increases it. Twice it says in our passage that they hated him all the more. They say, Joseph, you're the second youngest. Do you really think you're going to rule over us? How dare you think that? They hated him all the more. And in the second dream, the sun and moon, his parents, and the eleven stars, his brothers, all bow down to him again, a human. We're not told what his brothers said, but we're told what they thought. They were jealous of him. They hated him. Later on, the brothers are grazing their flocks about a hundred kilometers away, and Jacob sends Joseph out to check on them. His brothers see him coming, and in one united voice they say, Look, there's that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these empty pits here, and let's hide his murder. We'll say an animal got to him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Does anyone else find this part of the story a little bit unbelievable? I mean, how can a little bit of hate amongst brothers escalate to murder? But hate grows at an unbelievable pace. Joseph arrives. Instead of being welcomed by his brothers, his robe is stripped off him. Instead of being embraced as a brother, he's thrown into that empty pit. And then having humbled the dreamer, the brothers sit down to eat a meal. Joseph cries out to them from the pit, but they do not listen to him. Now about 20 years later in the story, when the brothers travel to Egypt because of a famine, they remember Joseph's tears at this point. They say in Genesis 42, on the slides, We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. So Joseph's in that pit, crying out to his brothers, Brothers, help me! Judah, Simeon, Levi, Reuben, someone help me! But his brothers sit to eat, and they do not listen. It's such a disturbing image, isn't it? 
But the brothers are so caught up in their hate, in their self-justifying hate, that to them, this just feels right. Judah sees some traitors going down to Egypt. He says to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him. After all, he is our brother. Hate makes room for self-justifying greed. To the brothers it makes sense. It's not good to kill that brother, but to sell him, that's okay. In unison, the brothers agree. They sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver, which is about two years of wages of a labourer. So perhaps maybe $110,000 in today's money, or about $11,000 for each of the brothers. $11,000 each for the price of their brother's life. They take Joseph's coloured robe and they smear it red with goat's blood. And they lie to their father just as he lied to his own father. They say, Father, we found this robe somewhere. Have a look and see if it's perhaps your son's robe. And Jacob falls for the lie. It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. He tears his clothes and he mourns. His sons attempt to comfort, even though they know exactly what happens to Joseph. They continue to live out the lie. And that's where our story leads these ancestors of Abraham, these recipients of God's promises. It's a story from long ago, but it still rings true of human nature, doesn't it? We look at our world and we see the presence and the power of hatred. We see its power to unite people. We see its power to grow and grow and grow just because it feels right. And we see its power to dehumanise, to make people so much less than they were created to be. Let's think a little bit more about hate's power in the story. I think we've seen three ways in which hate might impact us. So number one, hate unifies. Even though it's the collection of ten individual older brothers, minus Reuben, they function as a single unit. They're united by their hate. See it with me in our passage from verse 4. About halfway through it says, They hated him. And then halfway through verse 8, They hated him all the more. And verse 11, His brothers were jealous of him. Hate has made them one. And as time passes, it seems that they're increasingly trapped in this hateful groupthink. And I mean, I, th- I think we're prone to this too, aren't we? Think of how, how much easier it is to unite in complaining about someone else than it is to unite in praising them for something good they've done. For example, after playing a sports match, how much easier is it to say, oh man, how bad was that ref? Than it is to say, without any hint of sarcasm, man, that ref made some great calls today. 
hate unites. And number two, hate grows. Rosaria Butterfield, a Christian author, writes this about sin. If you bring a baby tiger into your house, bite a collar and leash, and name it Fluffy, don't be surprised if you wake up one day and Fluffy is eating you alive. That is how sin works. Sometimes sin lurks and festers for decades, deceiving the sinner that he really has it all under control until it unleashes itself on everything you built, cherished and loved. The brothers don't start out plotting murder. Initially they're just annoyed that Joseph's his dad's favourite. But the hate festers. It grows over time. It becomes more and more comfortable to them. It justifies itself. Of course I'm angry. I was wronged. They deserve whatever they get. And it builds and builds, all the while feeling legitimate and right. It reminds me of how prone I am to telling stories in my head where I'm in the right and the other person is always in the wrong. Then it makes it so much easier for me to grow in in self-justifying hate. Hate that just feels right. And I wonder if you find this too. Hate grows. Number three, hate dehumanises. Jacob's response to seeing Joseph's bloodied robe is haunting. Look with me in verse 33, about halfway through. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. The terrifying irony is that it was not a ferocious animal that killed Joseph, but it was his brothers. Hate turned them into devouring animals who tried to kill and then sell their brother into slavery. After letting hate reign in them, it made them harm their own brother. These men, made in the image of God, were reduced to devouring animals. Hate dehumanises. Hate. It sounds so confronting, doesn't it? So distasteful. But hate doesn't just rule out there, does it? It can rule us too. It can rule us when we feel jealous of someone else's position. It can rule us when we feel resentment because of a comment someone made. And it can rule us when we feel bitterness because we feel we haven't been recognised. It can rule us when we give in to our anger because someone else wronged us badly. We might call it by different names, but the same hate that ruled in those brothers can rule in us too. Like the brothers though, will we also be ruled by hate? Will we be unified by it? Will we allow it into our homes like Fluffy the Tiger whilst it grows and grows and grows? Will we let it get to the point where it bursts out from us, from thought into horrific action, so that it dehumanises us to the point where we too become devouring animals? But remember where we are in our story. Jacob's grandfather up there 
He was promised by God that through one of his offspring, blessing would come to the whole world. What Jacob's family knew in shadows, we now know in radiant light. We know that one of the brothers, Judah, the one who suggested selling Joseph into slavery, that he was going to have children, who themselves would have children, and those children would have more and more children. And one day, through Judah's line, another son would be born. Out of this hateful family would come one who would know love better than anyone else. A man who would teach the way of love. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. But he wouldn't just teach the way of love. He would live the way of love. Remember our Lord as he went to the cross on our behalf. Mocked by the soldiers, Hail, King of the Jews! Mocked by the leaders, He saved others. Why can't he save himself? And then humiliated by those same soldiers as they gambled for his clothing. Yet what did he say as he wore our hate, our sin on his shoulders? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ's prayer, forgive them, was not just for the soldiers, not just for his ancestors, but also for us. And if we trust in him, then we are forgiven all our sins, including our hate, and we can be set free from hate's rule. Hate rules us, but Christ's love makes a better way. Hate rules us, but Christ's love makes a better way. Hate did not rule Jesus on the cross, and now his love makes a better way for us. We're going to look at three ways his love does this. Christ's love unites, Christ's love grows, and Christ's love makes us more fully human. So number one, Christ's love unites. What brought the brothers together was their hate for Joseph. But as followers of Jesus, we have something so much better to be united in. The book of Ephesians in the New Testament says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Why would we unite in anything else? Number two, Christ's love grows. The brothers' hate grew and grew because it felt right to them. But Christ's love can grow and grow in us for those of us who follow Jesus. His love for us is deep and expansive, higher than the distance between the stars and the ground. Psalm 103 says this, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Tonight, if you're on the receiving end of hate, I want you to hear these words once again. 
As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Whilst hate may seek to grow in our hearts, Christ's love can grow further. Jesus' spirit living in us produces love as one of the promised fruits of the spirit. Now at work recently, in front of others, a colleague brought up a mistake of mine from some time ago and they made it out bigger than it was. And so I felt like I just looked really incompetent to other people and I began to feel bitterness towards this colleague. But a little while later I was reminded that what God thinks of me matters more than what other people may think of me. And that gave me strength to resist that bitterness and to push against these self-justifying stories that were starting to build in my mind. So Christ's love was growing in me and Christ's love can grow in us. Number three, Christ's love makes us more fully human. In the brothers, we saw that hate turns them into devouring animals. But Jesus' love is how we were meant to live. His love makes us more the humans we were supposed to be. And I've got to say, the way Jesus embodied love and not hate is so compelling. I want to be like him. I want to love like he did. And that helps me to resist my hate even when it feels just so right. The brothers of Joseph were indignant that he was proposing he would rule over them. They hated this. And so I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus as he walked the cross, being beaten and mocked and whipped and spat on by those he had made. They hated him. Surely he would have felt indignant at this. How dare they not recognize him, the one through whom all things were made? How dare they rule over him, the one who rules with grace and truth? Surely he would have burned in anger towards the soldiers as they crucified him and divided up his clothes. How could he not rail against the injustice of it all? And yet, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved his enemies. Jesus is the ultimate human, the one, the human that we were meant to be. And now, following him, his love changes us and compels us to resist hate and to show love. Christ's love makes us more the humans we were supposed to be. So hate rules us, but Christ's love makes a better way. Hate rules us, but Christ's love makes a better way. For those of you who love Christ and want him to help set you free from your hate, I have this one suggestion. When your bitterness starts to grow, when someone misrepresents you and your resentment starts to build, when anger simmers in the form of self-justifying stories in your mind, stop and pray. 
Don't just pray that you won't feel those feelings, but pray love for the other person. Because it's Christ's love that makes a better way. I can think of a few times over the past few years where praying love for another person has helped to reduce the hate that I feel towards them. There was that person I felt disgruntled towards and who I avoided. Or that other person that I I felt bitterness towards for so long. But through praying love for them, my hate has been weakened. And that's because there is power in praying love for our enemies. And to conclude, I want to show you what that might look like. So let's pray. Father, I pray for those we are prone to hate or hold on to bitterness towards. Thank you for creating them in your image. I ask that they would experience the warmth of Jesus' love for them. Please would they be strengthened by your promises. And please would they experience Jesus' love through your people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatt's.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.